welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday. Welcome into Soccer Morning. Here we go. Big show for you today. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, all of those various places where you can either get the live show or the podcast. Hopefully you're checking out uh, the show live. That's always the best. I feel like that's the best way to listen. We do it live for a reason. We're going to do it live. Do it live for a reason. Part of that is so we can take phone calls later on in the show, so we can respond to things as they happen, so you can interact via Twitter, so Trevor can derail the show with a bad pun in the middle of it. These things happen all the time. That's why you should listen to the live program every Monday through Friday. And, uh, you know, since I'm doing it all week and we announced Sirius XM on Monday, let's go ahead and recap that just very, very briefly. This show, the WorldSoccerTalk.com version of the program, is moving to 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Then we will be doing a Sirius XM FC exclusive show from 11 a.m. Eastern to 1 p.m. Eastern every Monday through Friday. Trevor also reminding me that we're looking into the idea of holding a Soccer Morning on Sirius launch party in New York City at the Football Factory on May 8th. That's the, that's the, the, the speculative plan. The, we're looking into it. If you are interested in attending said launch party, maybe shaking my hand, having a beer, talking some soccer, let us know on Twitter, at Soccer Morning. We would highly appreciate it. We've got to gauge the interest in these things before we're going to commit to them, people. That's how that works. On today's program, Kevin Laramie from Montreal. He's actually in Mexico City. He will join us to talk about the Montreal Impact's 1-1 draw with Club America in the first leg of the CONCACAF Champions League final last night. A big result for the Impact. And Kevin was on the scene. So he'll give us some insight there. And then our friend David Cartledge from Spain will join us at 10.30. We're going to talk through the Spanish teams in the Champions League. So Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, and the results therein. And we'll touch on some other stories surrounding Spanish football uh, right now, including, the. did you know that Lionel Messi's tax case is still ongoing? We will forget about that already. I'm not saying that we should really care as soccer fans, as long as he's out there on the, on the field performing. But I don't know that people re- remember that Neil Messi got dinged for some tax evasion. And it's still happening. There's still things happening in, in Spain. And then Barcelona's got all that stuff with the Neymar transfer and money going missing into the wrong places. And hey, it's just a mess. It's a mess at Barcelona. Well, not really. They're fine. They're going into the semifinals of the Champions League. So that's good for them. Let's hit the headlines here ahead of Kevin Laramie joining us in just a couple of minutes. In the Champions League, Chicharito Hernandez scores the lone goal as Real Madrid advances past Atletico Madrid 1-0 at the Bernabeu. Big goal for Chicharito. Uh, back in the lineup, getting his start because Karim Benzema was unavailable. And he uh, made his time count. He is um, he's a pesky player. I mean, you know, he's, uh, he's a guy that he's going to be there in front of goal. If you can find him, he's going to score. He's a pretty good finisher when he gets the opportunity. Ronaldo with a an excellent run to set him up. Now, in the aftermath of that goal, Thierry Henry, newly minted soccer pundit on Sky Sports, criticized Hernandez for his celebration, which I find fascinating because I, if you've listened to this show for any length of time, you know that I find any discussion of celebration to be ridiculous. 
first of all, we have the shirt removal yellow, which is inane, stupid. Change that rule, please. And then any time a player celebrates at all, celebrates against his old team, celebrates in front of opposing fans, celebrates whatever he does, there's bound to be some sort of criticism. And in this case, it's Henri. And this is ridiculous criticism. The 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 word the um, opinion of Thierry Henry is that he didn't, meaning Hernandez, properly acknowledge Ronaldo's assist, okay, and that he s- celebrated like he scored like he scored the winning goal in the World Cup. He scored the winning goal in a Champions League quarterfinal at home in front of his fans after all of the frustration he's had. I don't blame Chicharito Hernandez at all for his celebration. The other game yesterday, Juve played to a goalless draw with Monaco and advances past the uh, past the French league side one nothing via that goal in the first leg at Juventus. So they'll move into the semifinals as well. Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Juventus. Some heavy hitters left in this competition. Should be fascinating from here on out. In the CONCACAF Champions League, as I mentioned, Montreal won, Club America won. Nacho Piatti scores for Montreal. A very uh, a, a very nice goal set up uh, by some good movement by Montreal, who looked dangerous on the counter for most of the night. Club America certainly had more of the play, and they will rue the fact that they didn't put away their chances, although not many of them were of the excellent variety. Montreal did a good job defending. Words out of Mexico City. We're going to talk to Kevin Laramie about this when we get him on the air. From the Club America players, with that Montreal doesn't deserve to be a champion, that their luck will run out back in Canada. We'll see what happens. That's going to be fascinating. 60,000 people will be on hand at Olympic Stadium to see if the Montreal Impact, who finished last in MLS in 2014, can lift the Continental Trophy. It would be a stunning, stunning story. And we talked about it before this game, yesterday on yesterday's show. What you wanted out of Montreal, if you're pulling for Montreal, if you're an MLS fan who's rooting for them to go and win this title is hope going back to the uh, to the home leg in Canada, and they did that. They provided hope. They got a very good result. Now you you do uh, you are a little upset about the fact that they gave up a goal to Ariba Peralta in the 88th minute or whenever that came towards the end of the match, a late goal, whatever it was. Clearly Montreal was gassed. It came on a set piece. Marking just kind of slipped a little bit. So you do wish Montreal had held on for that one nothing win. But considering what you might have expected going into this game, it's a fantastic result for the Montreal Impact. And now they go back to Quebec with a chance to win this title. Grant Wall reporting over at SI.com that Cristiano Ronaldo has targeted Los Angeles for his MLS arrival, perhaps in 2018. Now this is, could be the Galaxy, could be LAFC. Uh, Grant also has some details on LAFC and whether or not they will start in 2017 or 2018. Seems to be some question over that MLS expansion is in a very weird place right now just reading this morning that the Minnesota United Stadium deal this is a piece of advice sports by Elliot Turner is not uh is not a it's not a foregone conclusion things have got to be worked out you've got the Vikings group you've got the Minnesota United group and uh, the legislature le- legislatures of the area are not jumping on board with the Minnesota United group necessarily to get this done, despite the fact that Bill McGuire and his partners have talked about privately financing their stadium. Grant Wall also reporting that the Seattle Sounders have made their first written offer to Jordan Morris, 
Stanford player, Seattle Sounders homegrown talent. Scored last night for the United States against Mexico in the U23 game, by the way. I'll get to that in a second. But this offer reportedly could make Jordan Morris the highest paid homegrown player ever. So that bears watching to see if he will take that bait and jump pro uh, and, uh, and leave Stanford behind. The USU-23s did beat Mexico 3-0 at uh, StubHub Center last night in Carson, California. Mario Rodriguez, Christian Dean, and Jordan Morris scored the two latter goals coming off of set pieces. This first one, a very nice, uh, a very nice goal for Mario Rodriguez getting on the end of a cross. The United States played, played poorly. Mexico played well in the first half, and the U.S. turned it around. See what Andy Herzog has to say about his, about his team's performance as they progress towards Olympic qualifying later in the year. In the Europa League today, Fiorentina and Dynamo Kiev, 1-1 on aggregate in the second leg. Napoli and Wolfsburg. Napoli with a massive 4-1 advantage over Wolfsburg in that second leg. Dinapro and Club Bruges, goalless after one leg, going to that match without everything to play for. And Zenit and Sevilla, with Zenit at home, down a goal, 2-1 to Sevilla. So there's your headlines. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll grab Kevin Laramie from Mexico City. Montreal Impact on the verge of a CONCACAF Champions League title? Stunning stuff. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Facing the crowd. You're talking too loud. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go. Let's talk a little CONCACAF Champions League final first leg. Kevin Laramay from Montreal is in Mexico City. He was there on the scene at Azteca as uh, the Impact score a 1-1 draw with Club America. Kevin, thank you uh, for joining us. Pleasure is all mine, Jason. So you were there. You saw this game unfold it, you know, uh, look, the the late goal kind of takes a little bit of the wind out of the Montreal sales only because they held the lead for so long, Kevin. But considering everything going into this match, considering where the impact have been in the league, considering how magical this run has been, this is this is about the best you might have ever expected. I didn't even expect the draw. I was ready and I was prepared for a two, three, four, eight. Gates could have been open and it could have been 10 nothing. <laughs> but the impact that I saw reminded me of the impact against Pachuca. There's certain confidence. It seems like the underdog tag that they, they've been thrown at them for what, for months now, they really embrace it. And it seems like they're more comfortable in that situation. And at the end of the game, I talked to Baki Sumare and Asun Kamara. And they were saying that, yeah, right now it hurts. It feels bad because we had the lead for 89 minutes and we're able not to dominate, but to absorb the pressure and to actually have good possession stint, especially in the first half. So they still hurt for them, but they said, if you would have told me this morning that would have had a one-one draw out of Azteca, they both would have signed on the dotted line Absolutely. early in the morning. Kevin, you can find Kevin's work at uh, Off the Woodwork uh, podcast, um, Two Solitudes podcast, USL Radio podcast as well. Kevin, it's Kev Laramie on Twitter. It's two E's. All right, so you know, again, going into this match, um, I, I don't know that anybody knew exactly. You said this. Uh, you expected maybe a two, three, four goal loss. I mean, certainly Club America is an incredibly talented team, perhaps the most talented in North America. Meanwhile, the Impact are a club that's struggling in the league, perhaps because they've had some focus on this tournament. 
But this is this seems to be more about again resolve, um, you know, uh, being committed, certainly being disciplined in the way that they play, and and this is what I've noticed too, Kevin, more than willing to to muck it up and play some dirty Concacaf soccer if necessary. Yes, uh, one thing I tweeted last night that I took on really on note is the impact used of physicality. And they, they CONCACAF Club of America on certain occasion. If you're a fan of CONCACAF, you know what that expression means. Hold the ball a little too long. If you're a, a Diluduka, you walk the f- off the field a little slowly so you get pushed by Club of America outside. Take in every little second that you can to make sure that uh, that lead uh, held on for as long as possible. And for once, we saw a North American and a Canadian or American team do that mm. outside of CONCACAF. Usually we have, we're on the moral high ground, like we're not going to play that game. But you know what? It's been, what, decades now that we see this happening? It's about time a team goes here in Mexico, in the CONCACAF region, where it's hard, in hostile territory, and does what needs to be done. Some question over the refereeing last night, certainly, Kevin. I watched the match. Domaduro had a legitimate beef on the uh, on the foul that should have been a red card. Uh, I don't know how you de- how you defend the referee's decision to only hand out a yellow in that situation. I'm sure Klopas was upset about that. I'm sure he was upset about a number of things. Now, the the impact may have gotten a couple of breaks of their own, perhaps on a disallowed goal that was very close to offside, was called offside, and then a, a handball in the box. But overall, I imagine the impact are feeling more aggrieved than Club America today. Exactly. Uh, you nailed it. Frank Klopas, even before he took the first question in the post-game press conference, he started by saying, first of all, the referees, 44th minute, breakaway, clear breakaway chance by Dom Adjaro. First of all, he's taken... Uh, tackled from behind so that's a red card to start with and on top of it was the last defender so there's two arguments that can be said that can, could have been two straight red cards there's two challenges that happened that would have been deserving of that red card mm-hmm. and that referee brought that yellow out and so when he means he saw the foul he acknowledged the foul and it's white on black on fifa rulebook that's a red card mm-hmm. and for some reason hector rodriguez decided to bring only yellow card to the match and it, it really like you said uh, klopas was still angry at the end of the game but especially for that yellow card on evan yeah. bush late in the game where donny toya diluduka tried to explain to the journalists what they saw happen and the only thing they saw was evan bush getting hit in the face him falling down getting up and him getting a yellow card yeah. which that means is suspended for the final in Montreal, but not just that. Cromberg, the back of Montreal, is captained with Kansas City. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have to play either John Smith from FC Edmonton in the NSL or trying to get a goalkeeper in seven days. Yeah, that, that is certainly a problem. I know they're going to appeal this. Um, I, I think I know the incident that you're talking about. And from the, from the television broadcast, all I could say is I, I'm not saying that Devin Bush didn't get punched or hit or whatever, whatever it was that caused him to go down. I do think he sold it. And maybe the referee aired over, you know, aired on, on that end, which is, again, not necessarily good refereeing because you see plenty of guys go down. Mm. You can be fouled and still, you know, accentuate things. And, and we've seen that before. Um, a, a couple of, I'll get to a couple of performances that I want to pick out here in a, in a minute, Kevin. But when we, when we talk about, um, when we talk about how the Montreal impact, their mentality going into this game, Give me a sense of what you heard out of the impact camp, because I know they prepared very well, and that was a, an element of this success, a successful run. But what was their attitude going into this? Because Club America you know, took some shots after the game saying that they defended for the entire 90 minutes. I didn't see that necessarily. I did see a team that was trying to defend in numbers, as you would on the road, but they were certainly willing to leak out players on the break and, and give it a, a shot. Exactly, Jason. 
at the first two, three minutes of the game, Montreal were maybe jittery, maybe nervous, and they let the ball to America. But as soon as they got the ball, for some reason, Donny Toya was able to have, first of all, a performance of a lifetime for him, probably his best career game. And like I said on my show last night, it was put his, I'm going to put his performance as a defender against any defender performance in the last couple of years in CONCACAF or MLS. It was that impressive last night, mm-hmm. especially for his size. But going back to uh, the mentality of the impact, they got in Mexico City last Thursday, well, actually Pachuca, but they got close here. Uh, just to the altitude, and they wanted to have possession. They wanted to attack. They wanted to surprise Azteca, uh, America at Azteca, and they did. Uh, at about the fifth minute, they started pressing forward, trying to attacking, getting possession. And before Piatti's goal, Montreal had two, three chances of either good Callum Malice's pass or Piatti and Oduro finding a link-up play, which is really one of the great thing we saw last night as well, Jason. Yeah, Piotti was great last night. I mean, certainly tired towards the end of the match, and you mentioned Callum Malice. At one point in that game, I think it was in the last five or ten minutes of it, Callum Malice did what he did up in Montreal, and he picked out uh, he picked out a forward with a 50-60 yard ball on a dime, and Piotti brought it down and actually had a, had a decent chance to maybe cut in and create a shot, and just didn't have the energy. How much? How mm-hmm. much of um, you know? How much of that that giving up that goal to Peralta at the end? Do you think was about fatigue? I think it was all about fatigue. Altitude does play a factor, but they were a little bit more prepared than a normal team. Got here seven days before, but still the the fact that a month and a half ago they spent seventeen days in Pachuca still prepared them more mentally and physically still. But uh, Donny Toya and Dominic Adjur, especially after the game, were talking about how in the last maybe five minutes, yes, it was a small uh, advantage for America, the altitude and the fact that America are further in their season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Montreal has not played a lot in the last couple of weeks, and I think it showed in the last minutes of the game. But I, I think it was a lot of confusion. Even on Uribe Beralta's goal, if you look carefully, about 30 seconds, in that, there's like a scrum. Evan Bush gets hit by Peralta himself. Then he goes back and hits that header. Mm-hmm. It, it was a really punchy and dodgy end of the game in the Montreal's box. Uh, so now Montreal um, going back back home with a one one draw again to to score the away goal is big yeah you'd like to have it one nothing but even this uh, result sets them up nicely now it's worth reminding everybody that the last time an MLS team got this far RSL actually went back home with an opportunity I think a two two draw down in Mexico against Monterrey and had an opportunity at home to close it out and they couldn't get it done why should we believe that the Montreal Impact of all teams are capable of finishing finishing this off at home and winning this title for the first time in the in the CONCACAF Champions League era for an MLS team. It's going to sound weird, but Club America, even though they're first in the league, they're still struggling lately. And Matosa, as the coach for America, is under pressure. I've heard in the last couple of days, and I was at Club America's practice on Tuesday morning, they're not they're talking about changing coasts if, if things don't get better. So you have to think they have a game this weekend, a very hard game. I think if I'm not mistaken, it's against Chivas this weekend. Yeah, the, the Super Classico. So just to throw this in, because you mentioned the Super Classico is, is this weekend, then they have to go to Montreal next week for the second leg. So it, it, you're right. It, it, it's a daunting task for Club America. And it's a Sunday game as well, if I'm not mistaken, at Azteca. So it's going to be really hard for them to travel. It's a long, it's a long plane flight. It's about eight hours altogether. It's not an easy travel. It's west to east. It's never easy. And they're going to a place like the Olympic Stadium. They're not really used to a cavernous turf, a different type of atmosphere. And 
close to 60,000 people are going to be ready for them. So that means it's going to be about 140,000 people for the home and away series, which yeah. is mind-boggling to me as well, Jason. Yeah, absolutely. I think I do feel like this tournament's taken a step forward only because of this, not only because of this final matchup. Some of these knockout rounds have been pretty, pretty good too. But this final has done a, a, a wonders for the, for the competition in terms of uh, the level of interest in those localities, in those in Mexico City for Club America, obviously the, the one of the biggest clubs in Mexico, if not the biggest, and in Montreal where they your people, Kevin, they show up for these big events. You open up Olympic Stadium and you sell all these tickets. Uh, I want to come to your experience at Azteca. I mean, this is a place that I've never been to. Would love to get to. Um, I, my my dream would be obviously for a USA Mexico game, being who I am. But I imagine that the scene there was pretty special and and again i'm going to credit the impact for not being cowed by the fact that there were i I don't know how many people were in the building but thousands upon thousands a very large crowd it's a hundred thousand seat capacity building didn't they didn't they didn't shrivel in that moment now i would estimate the crowd about eighty thousand people there was a a big part of there's a renovation in some part of azteca they're putting new hd screens one is actually working on the other side of the pitch they're building it and it, it takes about 15,000 seats away, but there was about uh, maybe 80,000 on my estimation. Uh, but the impact, we're not afraid. And I think the Alawilla game two weeks ago in Alawilla and say against a 20,000 people, but closer to the pitch, more yeah. intense atmosphere, more hostile, and they got things thrown at them. Just ask Evan Bush and look at Evan Bush back at the head. He still has scars from those colones that he got thrown in Costa Rica. Those moments, are important for a club and it helps bring not just the club but every player up a notch it's an experience that not a lot of mls player have ever been had to play at estadio azteca not just a friendly or even if a usa mexico game like you talked earlier it's important when it's a friendly it's still chirpy but it's not as much as a competitive game sure. with the trophy right on the sideline that you can see and watch while you play and, and i think it brought something out of the montreal impact players and we mentioned piatti earlier i think he has a lot to do with how the montreal impact reacted in those conditions this time playing a long time for uh, san lorenzo in um uh, the Copa Libertadores mm-hmm. and in the, the Comebol, he's used to those hostile environment and he thrives in it. And I think he was able to uh, transmit that to the players. And let's not forget how beet juice really helped him as well last night. How did the, how did the um, Mexican journalists respond to what happened last night uh, in the press box? They were shocked. When Montreal scored the first goal, they were not expecting it. And they were really quiet for the rest of the game until eventually Peralta scored. They think it's a failure in Club America's part. Watching Fox Sports Vivo last night, I had gone back to the hotel. They were saying that this game should have been 4 5 nothing for Club America. What's the Matosas doing? He doesn't have the same type of ball possession we're used to and the, the soccer that we watch is not as beautiful to see and for some reason that's really important here in Mexico sure. how you play the game and how it does look and for some reason uh, Matosas is not popular and the journalists are really ripping Club America today uh, it should be interesting how that sort of pressure comes to bear as you mentioned Matosas' job might be in question and then you have the Super Classico if he loses that game to Chivas de Guadalajara at home I don't know if he's going to be on the sideline in Montreal to come next week. Now, um, I'm going to come back to the second leg, Kevin, before I have to let you go. Again, I sort of identify the fact that, that Montreal soccer fans show up, um, especially for these big events. They, they had a, a huge crowd for the last round. They're going to do it again. And this all comes after the beginning of the MLS season and Joey Saputo being in the press saying that the buzz <laughs> is gone. 
The, is the buzz back, or is this? Do you think this is unique because it's the Concacaf Champions League? Yeah, well, I was speaking to Richard Lejean, the VP uh, Director Sports, if you can say, of the Montreal Impact. Mm-hmm. He was talking about yes, there's a big buzz for the Impact in the Concacaf Champions League right now, and it goes all across North America. But the sales have not really transmitted to season tickets. Yeah. And because of the, uh, the lot of the games that have been postponed, it seems like there's a new beginning of the season starting in the next couple of weeks after Montreal plays their first game in the Amway Canadian Championship, I think three weeks from now. So uh, there's going to be a new way, a new chance to restart that uh, season in Montreal. And I think the fact that Montreal achieved a good results, and imagine if they win the actual trophy this Wednesday, I think now, and then it will have a boost on the ticket sales. For now, and from the mouth of Richard Lejean himself, uh, it really hasn't translated into a big uh, upsell of the actual season tickets. Uh, so last night, just to, to come back to this, and we'll, we'll wrap, uh, put a bow on this here. Last night, Klopas decided to go with Damo Duro up top. He obviously had Nacho Piatti on the, fi- on the field. He didn't use Jack McInerney, and he didn't use the newly acquired Kenny Cooper. Do you expect either one of those forwards to play a role in the second leg? I expect maybe Kenny Cooper, Jack Mack, I don't know, uh, his facial expression after the game, he was not a happy camper not playing in that game. Uh, Damaduro, his speed and his space was really necessary in that game, not just because of the altitude, but because Piatti can anticipate his run. And you had a couple of new defenders for America at a defense that mm-hmm. Aduro was able to use. I'm talking about Eric Pimentel, uh, most of all, that well, Aduro was able to uh, go around him and run circles around him because of his speed. Uh, Kenny Cooper, for me, is a very important going forward. If you remember, Montreal had the best success either in MLS or CONCACAF this year when they, with Cameron Porter, a brand new kid. And him, the way he plays, is similar to a Kenny Cooper, which is very different from Maduro or a Jack McMore. I wouldn't call it a hold-up ball, but a player that's able to... Uh, implicate a Piatti and a Duca or Remora more into the play and then move forward as a block. And I think that might be the key in Montreal. Put Kenny Cooper there, trying to go a little higher. If you go higher, the other team doesn't have the ball and they can't attack and it's easier to defend that way. So that's what I expect for this Wednesday, especially if Kenny Cooper starts. Kevin Laramie, you can follow him on Twitter. It's Kev Laramie, two E's, L-A-R-A-M-E-E. He's also, he does the uh, Off the Woodwork podcast, the Two Solitude podcast, a bunch of other podcasts, USL Radio, and some other stuff that's not soccer. I won't mention those things. Kevin, thank you very much for your time. It sounds like it was a, a brilliant night in Mexico City. Hopefully we'll be able to talk to you next week, and Montreal will have a trophy in their case. Hopefully they will, Jason. There you go. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to move to Spain. Talk to our friend David Cartledge. Uh, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, Sevilla, and the Europa League today. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on Soccer Morning talking to our friend David Cartledge. Covers Spanish football. He says he's out on his balcony enjoying the sun of Spain. We should all be jealous of him this morning. Uh, David, how are you? I'm very well, sir. It's a beautiful day in Barcelona. 
Oh uh, yes, it's very nice. It's great. It, it's it's a good day in Barcelona as they uh, finished off PSG in the Champions League. But I want to start with Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid um, and the knockdown dragout nature of that tie in this tournament. Uh, you know, obviously played each other in the final last year. Uh, know each other very well. Atleti has had amazing success uh, against their um, city rival, and yet in this game. With uh, with everything to play for, it, it was Real Madrid that came up on top despite missing Bale and Modric and Marcelo and and, and Benzema. Clearly, um, what I mean, we'll come to Chicharito, but just from your perspective, uh, that how did that game play out versus what you expected? Um, I think the main thing to to come from from both games is how negative Atletico Madrid were. I think Simeone has had a lot of praise, but you know, we must have balance and we must criticize him if things go wrong. And I think Simeone set his team up a little too negatively. And uh, I think Aledi could have thrown caution to the wind a little bit more. And, and they didn't. Um, I think when he, he took uh, Antoine Gre- uh, Griezmann off, mm-hmm. that, that was a sign that maybe he was <laughs> he was happy to sit back and, and get that draw. But Aledi were in a good position. They could have, I said, I think they could have come out the blocks in the first 20, 30 minutes, really hit Real Madrid, hopefully get a goal. And then they're in an excellent position. Uh, you know, it's almost like Simeone's success utilizing some negative tactics. Um, uh, you know, look, on certain occasions, it's not as though Atletico Madrid plays negative football every single time out. But it's almost like it's it's fed it's 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 feeding on itself. And rather than maybe trust his team a little bit, he decided to 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 overdo the tactics. Yeah, he he did. He tried to. The problem is. He got bogged down so, so much in trying to stop Real Madrid that I think he missed Atleti's point of view, Atleti's focus in terms of their attack. Um, and it was just a very dangerous thing to do, I think, given the circumstances. Um, the most dangerous thing to do, which, which sounds crazy sitting back, but if he attacked, like, like I said, they were in a position where they could have thrown caution to the wind, they could have got that early goal, and then Real Madrid are chasing the game, and the pressure's on in their own stadium, but they just didn't do that, and... I was really, really surprised. I mean, I think personnel, uh, for one, maybe he felt like the personnel it wasn't good enough. Despite Real Madrid's uh, missing players, he probably didn't feel that Lady could have gone that extra mile in terms of attack, uh, took the game to Real Madrid potentially. But it was just really, really negative, more so than usual. I mean, I think they play negative football sometimes, but I think their their ideas are very clear. And last night they weren't. You know, I, I, I was able to see some of that game, not the entire thing. But from what I saw, it certainly looked like Madrid was getting their chances. I mean, it's not as though they weren't threatening. Now, I'm not saying they were great chances, and Oblak really wasn't tested a whole lot. But it, 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 I'm not even sure it, it worked on the level that maybe Simeone wanted it to work, if you want to make that argument. Yeah, no, no, it, it didn't. I think the... I think Aledi could have maybe stepped out a few, maybe four or five yards more, but as a team and pushed out a little bit more and, and got in the faces of it. The press, the, the pressing on the halfway line wasn't even there from Aledi. They were happy for Real Madrid to, to carry the ball, to come at them. And I mean, like you mentioned about Oblak, they had that fantastic chance just before half time uh, with Cristiano, which he said, Oblak said with his feet. Right. And, 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 it, that was an example of it. That was the only real chance in that in the in the first half, to be honest. And yeah, it was. I, I think the problem, the way that Simeone set up and Aledi set up, it, it 
egged on uh, Real Madrid. It said, come at us, come at us. And, and Real Madrid um, took the game for them. And I think they deserve the win. All right, let, let, well, so let, let's turn then to Real Madrid and the way that they approached it. Again, missing so many key pieces, stepping up. Um, and the man taking the headlines today is Javier Chicharito Hernandez, who scores the goal. A little bit of controversy over celebration uh, because Thierry Henry decided to open his mouth. But when you saw what, what Hernandez brought to the team, because he's a very different player than Kareem Benzema, obviously, did that have uh, did it have a positive impact on Real Madrid? Or was it simply, hey, this is a quality player. He's available to us. If he gets the opportunity, he's probably going to score. So it, it, it really not a fundamental shift. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he... he Javier Hernandez is a, a great example, I think, for any player because, okay, he do, he's not a starter wherever he goes. He's not a starter. He hasn't been a starter at Manchester United. He hasn't been a starter at Real Madrid. But when he comes into that, when he comes into a team, he gives his all. We know everybody knows what you're going to get with Hernandez. You're going to get good movement up front between defenders, between centre backs, pulling defenders out of position, and you're also going to get that poaching threat in the in the penalty area. And he came with a good last night, and you cannot ask any more of him. Um, and he did that perfectly last night, and I, I'm I'm really pleased for him because he had a hard time, I think, at Real Madrid, yeah. and I doubt I doubt he'll stay there. So I'm pleased for him. It's, yeah, the biggest goal of his career, clearly, uh, at least at the club level. Uh, he's he is a player who who never it doesn't ever seem as though his head's down. Although you know he's obviously frustrated. Who wouldn't be? The the talk coming into this game, David, uh, was that this was going to have to be. Ronaldo's show. Now you have Hamas Rodriguez coming back into the team and, and, and that's a little bit of help. But if anybody was going to go win this for Real Madrid with those players missing that were missing, it was going to be Cristiano Ronaldo. He did create the goal. Overall, how did he handle that burden? Yeah, I think, I think he did well. I think in the dressing room right now, he's a leader. So I think in the dressing room, he would have been, uh, more, I mean, last night wasn't his greatest game. He, he was obviously involved in the goal, but, I think he's, we've discussed it before, he's, he's very, his position's changed at Real Madrid. He's very much a leader now. He's one of the most senior members of the, of the squad. And he'll have been a big presence in the dressing room, psyching everybody up and said, come on, I know we're missing players, but out there we're Real Madrid and we've still got good players in the field. You know, we've still got James Rodriguez out there. We've still got Pepe out there, Sergio Ramos out there. And yeah, so I think he's a, a big presence in, in that sense now. He's a, he's a leader now. I'm going to leave it here. Was the, was the celebration an issue in Spain at all? That, that, that Chicharito went off to the corner by himself, didn't really acknowledge Ronaldo. Ronaldo went and did his own thing because that's what he does. Was that ever, yeah. was that an issue at all in Spain? I mean, it was touched on, but, uh, not a great degree. I think it's the British media who picks up on things like that more, really. They, they love analyzing these tiny incidents and making something out of nothing. So in Spain, it was a, a tiny, it was touched upon. In England, it would have been analysed with with incredible detail, and then, like I say, with Thierry Henry criticising the celebration, this is a man who uh, who handled the ball for France <laughs> against uh, Ireland. He's a big cheat, and after he did that, he celebrated like he won the World Cup. So I don't think he's in any place to, to criticise no. anyone or anything. No, as much as I love Thierry Henry, he certainly shouldn't be throwing stones at glass houses. <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's turn to to Barcelona who advanced past PSG. I, I want to call it a foregone conclusion. It, it probably wasn't on that level, but it, it was Barcelona's uh, tie to just go ahead and close out. Neymar scores both goals. And I, I made this comment uh, when we sort of talked about this game yesterday that Barcelona's triumvirate of attacking talent at the front end of that formation, Messi, Neymar, Suarez, it's almost like they're trading off who gets to be the goal scorer, but they are so... 
they're so impossible to stop as a group that I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 we've seen obviously Lionel Messi be such an amazing player throughout the years, and and you add these two players to the mix, and it's just it's mind-boggling how much talent there is at the front. No, it, it's it's just phenomenal, and it's it represents the the shift that Barcelona have undergone over the last few years since Pep Guardiola's left. It was a team under Guardiola that was very much focused on midfield control with Xavi, with Iniesta and Busquets. And now it's gone further and, and now it's the attack. That, that, that's who takes the spotlight in this team. That's who does a lot of the work in this team. That's where the reliance is upon. upon. The midfield isn't as full of quality as it used to be. The defense obviously isn't impregnable. And so now it's it, it's all about the attack. And, and as you say, when they are in motion, when they're working together and they get it right, get their movement right, and their telepathy between them right, mm-hmm. they're very, very difficult to stop. Yeah, how much of uh, how much was made of, of Iniesta, certainly that run, and just sort of recapturing a, get, uh, a bit mm-hmm. of a former glory for a player who is, you know, is clearly on the downside? Yeah, definitely. It was a, it was a, a brief flashback, I think, to, to his best performances when I think I think I always think well, he was marvelous when uh, Spain won the World Cup when he, when he was in South Africa he was he was phenomenal then and it was a little flashback to that but one of those gliding runs and everybody calls him the ghost because of his complexion but he, he moved like a good man they also call him it because of how he moves and he moved like a ghost last night it was very it was sorry again the other night um, and he was very smooth and, how, and elegant how he did it and it was, it was beautiful to see yes so Barcelona now um, two points up on Real Madrid in the league. Uh, both these teams advancing to the uh, s- uh, to the semifinals of the Champions League. So they they continue to have to fight on that front as well. Uh, when we look back to the league, uh, the inside track is Barcelona's only because they have the point advantage. But when you consider what Real Madrid needs to do to get uh, to get another shot at the title, what wh- you know what's on the table for them again, considering that they have injuries. Um, to, to several key players who, and I don't know the status, Modric just seems to be the one who may be the farthest away. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Modric is good. I think Modric could be, I mean, saying, some people said initially end of the season, but now they're saying he could be even back just for the for the last few games and potentially the, the Champions League if the, you know, if the, if the business end of that. So the same, and then Bale's about two weeks as well. Marcelo will come back in the same length of time. So I think I think they'll come back before you know it. And when you look uh, again, when you look at uh, at the league as the as the remaining uh, as the remaining season plays out here, um, it's 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 difficult to imagine that Barcelona is going to slip up. But is there is there any opportunity down the the remaining schedule? And I haven't I have to look at this week. So I'm trying mm-hmm. to pull it up. It's it's pulling. It's giving me an issue on my computer here. But when you look at the remaining schedule, uh, the original fixture list, do you see anything that that looks like a a banana skin in your parlance? Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I mean, a lot of people will will look at this week and, and say they they're going to Espanol. It's, it's like a Barcelona to Derby in the city. Yes. Um, but historically, Espanol a uh, soon overawed. I think I think they maybe start with a bit of intensity, but there's nothing really much there that suggests that Espanol will cause a surprise. I think when you when you look at it, it's, the, it's probably the penultimate game of the season. It's Atletico Madrid versus Barcelona, and that'll be on the the week. I think that's the. It will get changed, I think, to maybe a Saturday night for that one. So, Atleti versus Barcelona is probably the one at Real Madrid, ironically, looking at Atleti to, to do them a favor. Um, that's the only game I think that stands out where Barcelona could slip up. Yeah, Real Madrid away to, to Sota Vigo this weekend. Uh, let's turn to uh, the team, the Spanish team left in the uh, Europa League playing today, Sevilla. 
um, with an opportunity to advance in that competition. Um, it's uh, it sets up nicely for them, I suppose. But uh, you know these uh, these games can can throw up some surprises. What do you see in the second leg against Zenit? I think we're going to see a severe team. They're they're excellent when uh, when they need a defender lead. I think they will sit set up tonight perfectly and and, and counter attack Zenit. Um, I mean, I know Zenit got that late away goal, which which really killed a great. Uh, they got that away goal, which really killed a, a quite brilliant turnaround uh, from Sevilla in the end. But with that away goal being there, then it's always difficult. But I think Sevilla can do this. They've just got so much nous when it comes to tournament football. They know how to play second legs. They know how to. To shut teams down, and I think it can, I can see it getting very frustrating for for Zenit. Uh, certainly, that would be another pleat in the cap of uh, or in the cape, excuse me, of La Liga uh, mm-hmm. as we move forward in this competition. Um, coming back to the Champions League, I, I, I sort of forgot to mention this: the 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 matchups here. What's the what's the preferable uh, situation for you and and for Spain and for for football in general? Yeah, I think with with absolutely no disrespect to uh, a very experienced UVA uh, side who are obviously very resolute, I think that would be the ideal team for for Barcelona, Real Madrid. I, mean, I don't think anybody wants uh, Bayern Munich at this no. point. <laughs> uh, certainly not. Certainly not on the way that they played uh, finishing off Porto. Uh, is that yeah. is that is that creating any sort of buzz uh, within Spain? Certainly in Barcelona, considering the way that they turned that around and. Pep tearing his pants in excitement on the sideline and uh, all of that. Yeah, I mean he's he's still very much a big figure here. So so yeah, so I think people are happy. And obviously Thiago got his uh, goal as well. Sorry, Thiago was <clears throat> vital all night for for Bayern. And after the injuries that he's, he's had, and obviously he spent time in Barcelona, and he's still uh, still looked upon as a favorite here. He he left due to. Um, Basically, just what was going on with the board, you know, what was going on at the time there. So people still like him here. He's not seen as a mercenary or anything. So, yeah, there's a lot of attention on Bayern, but they don't want too much attention in the fact that they play them. <laughs> right. Uh, let me turn here before I have to let you go, David, to uh, – to, I mentioned this at the top of the show and, and wondered if anybody even remembered that Lionel Messi is still embroiled in a tax evasion case in Spain. Uh, I, I just read a story this morning that indicated some people claim the government is dragging their feet on this issue. I imagine the implication is that, hey, it's Lionel Messi. He's getting favorable treatment. Is any of this a problem for anybody uh, in Spain, in Barcelona, certainly? I imagine they, they just want him on the field and uh, they can ignore all of these things. Yeah, exactly. Again, it's just another thing when it comes to Barcelona, what's going on off the field and uh, with it, the Two main players, probably Neymar and Messi, are embroiled in these uh, these cases. Basically, obviously Neymar, Neymar not, not directly as such, but I mean this has been dragging on. I mean their first appeal, I think Messi, Messi and his father um, appeared in court. It was in September 2013, um, and it's been dragging on ever since. But I was spoken on this show about uh, bureaucracy in Spain. <laughs> Everything is very very slow. It's uh, pen and paper almost, and it, it takes time. So I'm not surprised at uh, any of this. Uh, I don't think it's a special. I don't think it's even a special case. It's uh, just a general. Uh, none of it. No, well, okay. So this is standard for the for the Spanish system. Okay, we'll mm-hmm. we'll put that to the side. But does any of this have? And I may have asked you this before, but does any of this have have a negative impact on the on the image of Lionel Messi in Spain? I don't think. Again, I don't think people outside of Spain are paying attention to any of this. It may have been mentioned when it first popped up in the news cycle. But we've all sort of moved on, and he maintains, you know, Messi maintains this sort of choir boy image um, through most of the world. Is that still the case, or is that the case at all 
uh, in no, Barcelona. Certain, no, I, I don't think certainly at all. I think I think it's it shifted a lot here. I think obviously he's worshipped in Barcelona and he's worshipped in other parts of the world. But if you speak to anybody associated, maybe who who is being with the club or who knows how things have gone at the club, um, Messi is. You can imagine. Come on, this guy has got all this power. He's got all this. You know, he's got people telling him he's the he's the greatest football player of all time, and it's it's going to go to your head to a degree, and it's going to change you to a degree. Um, I don't think his choir boy image is is intact. I guess some people would like to say that it is, but you you like I say you 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 hear things and and things have happened and and. He's lost that image, I think, personally, I think. That's very interesting to consider. I mean, I, I'm one of those people, I, I don't worry too much about athletes as long as they're not hurting people uh, off the field. If they're, you know, they're, 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 of course your head's going to be large, as you said, and, and he is uh, so amazing to watch that maybe we should just uh, enjoy that and forget about the rest of it. Oh, uh, David Cartledge, follow him on Twitter. It's David, J-A-C-A. He is Wonderful every time he comes on the program. He does it all the time, and we very much appreciate it. David, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon. Great to you. Take it easy, guys. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines. We'll talk to you. i got questions about these U.S. women's national team uh, uniforms. What you make of them? What do you make of Nike's response to the criticism? Lots of stuff on tap here. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Back on Soccer Morning, phone lines now wide open. 646-832-3909 is the phone number. Let me say that again. I may have tripped over it the first time. 646-832-3909. Jump in. My question for you here, before I get into a couple of other topics, is whether or not you like the U.S. women's national team uniforms as issued by Nike, and they're different. They're black, they're white, there's neon colors involved in the socks, the shoes are blue. First, you like them. Second, do you believe that national team uniforms should adhere to some flag color-based model? The argument we've always had with the U.S. uniform has been, my argument has always been that they should be consistent. That you should find a look and stick with it. And yeah, even if you tweak it a little bit, make something that can be iconic eventually. This is why I actually liked the Waldo kits. Not because they're the best looking I've ever seen, but because of the look could become iconic. Consider the Dutch and their orange, the, the Argentines and their baby blue and, and white, whatever color that, that technically is. Consider Germany, and, and, and this is the interesting response from Nike and the response to criticism over these uniforms. And again, they're, they're very different. Not every team pays homage to the flag, said Charlie Brooks, Nike's vice president of North American Communications. Take Germany's kit, for example. World champions, the German flag is yellow, red, and black. The kit is white with black trim on it. I understand people asking about the colors, but there's also the level of not all national teams have to represent the flag. And I'm okay with that. I am. I'm okay with not having colors that are necessarily on your flag. Germany wears green sometimes. I mean, those, are, those are sort of iconic kits as well. 
So I'm not going to call out the issue of color. I'm going to call out the issue of consistency. And when you throw in the neon, we expect this to be a lasting look. Of course not. Let's go to Mike in Philly. Let's talk Champions League, actually. What's up, Mike? Sorry, coffee hey, Jason. Uh, first off, uh, I haven't had a chance to call in, but congrats to you and Trevor on uh, closing this deal with uh, Sirius. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, yeah we, we banged out this deal. We sat around a big conference. No, we didn't do any of that. But, yeah, thank you very much for, for your words. What's on your mind? Uh, yeah, just wanted to touch on Champions League. I was wondering what you honestly think Montreal's chances are. I know people are really excited about the way goal and getting out of that tech with the draw. Yeah. But if you remember uh, a couple of years ago, Salt Lake got away with two away goals in a draw yeah. and uh, things didn't work out. I'm wondering how you think this is going to differ for Montreal if their larger stadium and a dome and turf is going to make a difference or, uh, I mean, obviously it's still 90 minutes to go. It's going to be your honest thoughts on. Where they stand. I think it's a coin flip. I think it's a 50-50 proposition. I mean, I, I think they could just as easily score a goal, go up, and, and you know, have to hang on for dear life, um, and maybe even take it to extra time or penalties. But I mean, I, I think it's a, I think it's a coin flip. I really do. I don't, I, I would, I think I would have said the same thing if you had asked me in 2011 ahead of RSL Monterey, if that was, if I thought RSL was going to win that, I, I would probably say that that second leg was a coin flip there too, only because of the, the talent that's available to the Mexican side. And certainly Club America has plenty of talent. They bring Arriba Peralta off the bench to score the goal last night. Um, so that, that is an issue for Montreal, but they know uh, Montreal has dug in and, and has figured out a way to carve out some success in this tournament that I didn't expect. So I'm not going to doubt them now. I'm not going to believe that they're going to get crushed at home. I don't see this as a four nothing Club America win on the turf, in the dome with 60,000 in a, in a place that, you know, I don't know that Club America is going to be very comfortable. Yeah, uh, I mean, it'll definitely be interesting. I think it'll be tight. I hope it'll be tight. But at the same time, I mean, was it last round Club America was playing? Uh, was it Elhanese or uh, uh, Aradiano. Aradiano? Yeah, it was Aradiano. And they had a huge lead yeah. going, going into that second leg. Yeah. And they just crumbled. So, well, I mean, I mean the, the, Club America is possible just dismantling Montreal, and I, I really wonder what that's going to do. That well, they, that's true. But remember, they played Aradiano on the road first in Costa Rica, where Aradiano staked themselves to that lead, and then Club America demolished them back at the Azteca. So this is the opposite. Now, uh, now Club America is going to be the, the the team outside of their comfort zone. Thanks for the call, Mike. And it's going to be Montreal's to Montreal's advantage. This is why I'm giving them a 50-50 shot. On a neutral side, this is Club America, 70%, 75%, 80% in, in Montreal with Montreal having an away goal in their pocket. Again, they're going to have to go score, but having an away goal in their pocket, they have an opportunity here. Washington, what's up? Hey, what's up, Jason? How's it going? Shirt number five. Um, I, I, I did want to touch upon the CCL, but before I do that, I wanted to jump on the question you asked about the women's kits. Um, I, they weren't the greatest thing to my eyes when I first saw them, but uh, when you put them next to the, the, the blue kits, uh, I guess yeah. Nike was thinking, well, we got all the color here. Let, yeah. Let's give a more you know, pale palette there. I don't like um, the blue I, I, I don't have that big of a problem with them. I, I'm just wondering which one are going to be the primary colors. Is the white going to be the primary? Like, is the white the home kit and the blue the away kit or, or vice versa? That's the only yeah, thing I'm wondering. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, it's a good question. I don't like the blue. I don't like the, the weird gradient 
thing happening there. I, I'm not a big fan. I was watching the U23s. I do agree last with night. you. I do. I do agree with you. With the you know the, the jersey should become at this point we should make an iconic jersey, um, and there are many iconic jerseys. Although I I am of the the thinking that the jersey should be more um, reflective of the flag colors. But there are many. We got to remember there are many iconic jerseys that are not reflective yes, right. of the flag colors. Like Italy is one of them. Italy is a big one. Yes. I mean the the Azuri, the blues, and and they, they, there's not blue on their flag. So you know. But I do think they should be iconic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, I think I think what has happened for the U.S. Thanks for the call. You want to talk Champions League? I'll give you a second. But yeah, just, what what I think is yeah. interesting here is that uh, the United States have effectively came to this sport too late because now Nike was already in a cycle, or, or you know, the the kit makers, the uniform makers, the sportswear providers have already they were already in a cycle of trying to turn things over to make mon- more money year to year or, or every couple of years, right. and you already established the Azori. You had already established the Abba Celeste. You had already established Brazil and uh, and Germany and, and the Dutch. So the United States didn't have an established look coming into the nineties. You weren't going to stick with a denim thing. Come on, and it, then it becomes then it just becomes a cyclical thing. And nobody wants to stick with a style because hey, we might not make as much money the next time around selling these these jerseys in the United States. Right, right, right. And touching about the CCL real quick. First of all, I love last night's game. Last night's game was the best. And like I said, I, I was all for Montreal. One thing I did want to address, because you, you made a good point, right? You said, well, at this point, we should be past being together as a league. Uh, you know, the NFL, I only care about my team, Major League Baseball. The big difference between MLS and uh, NFL and Major League Baseball and those those type of leagues is that the NFL and Major League Baseball are the top league in their I, sports. I know, I know, I know. There's MLS a lot of variables. There's a lot of we differences. We haven't gotten there yet. There's a lot of differences. Those sports really don't involve international competition. I, I, I know that there are a lot of differences here. I'm not saying right. that, that you or anybody else didn't have a right or shouldn't go out and root for Montreal to win because of your sense of pride in MLS or you want it to boost MLS. I understand why you're rooting for them. I'm just saying we don't need a coordinated campaign that comes from the top down. That's what I, that's my issue really is the flag waivers from the corporate office who are pushing this stuff onto the website and through the official right, channels. I think it should be more grassroots. It absolutely right should be more grassroots. If everybody should should feel as though they get to choose if they want to root for Montreal, not as though that the, and again, this is part of MLS creating independent identities for their clubs. And then there's a lot of stuff I was talking on Twitter this morning about a piece by Stefan Zemanski in which he sort of argues that MLS, the money situation is bad and the league might be going away sooner rather than later if his assumptions are right and blah, blah, blah. And one of the things pointed out is that, yeah, this is he doesn't even really take into account the single entity element of it. And, and I think MLS, I understand what single entity is meant to do. And I think that it's probably a necessary evil or at least was. But you still want to you still want to create independent identif- uh, identifying characteristics from team to team across the league. You want these to be distinct individual, uh, th- you know, individual units within your greater league that these fans can find themselves attached to. Otherwise, you don't have any you don't have any personality. You have a, you have this this monolithic element, and I don't like that. And one last thing, um, do you know if CONCACAF has some type of fine thing in place for these laser pointers? Because uh, I, mean, I, I was getting so annoyed. Uh, Did you notice those laser pointers on the foot on the broadcast? Uh, yeah, my tweet last night was that at one point Evan Bush looked like a giant laser himself. He just looked like it was made of lasers. He looked. It, he was CONCACAF needs to get some type of fine yeah. thing going. I, I don't know. I yeah, appreciate the call, Washington. There you go, Take man. Care, man. Thanks, go uh, Eddie. Eddie in Brooklyn coming up uh, as soon as I click the. Yeah, there we go. 
Eddie in Brooklyn. Eddie, I should probably go ahead and and, and let you pick your shirt number. All right, yeah, uh, I'll go with uh, seven because that's my son's number. Okay, so you got a seven of five, and remind me, I think Rick picks like fourteen or something weird like that. What's on your mind, Eddie? Uh, before I get to my point about Chicharito, I kind of find it funny how everybody's acting like sixty thousand fans at the Big O and turf is going to be this big thing. Like America didn't dismantle Saprisa in ten minutes on the turf at La Cueva. Like this is Club America. No, I, I understand. Look, I understand. They played I, in rocket environments before. They sure. played on bad environments before. It's not that big of a deal. Okay, well, I'm, I'm not saying that that's like the great equalizer. I'm saying that that Montreal has proven that they can fight and scrap and play Concacaf soccer and get the job done if a couple of breaks go their way. They they no one had them scoring, taking the lead against Club America at the Azteca. I don't care how I don't care what you say about Jekyll and Hyde Club America. No one expected that. Yeah, they gave up a late goal to Arriba Peralta, who's an incredible talent. That I don't think there's anything to be upset about there. I, I'm not saying that, that the the big O is somehow going to cow Club America. I'm just saying that Montreal is going to be really comfortable there, and Club America still has to make an adjustment. Let's not act like they're just going to walk in and go, "Yeah, this is business as usual for us." They may win. They may have won at La Cueva. They may have. They may go to Tijuana, Tijuana on occasion and, and play well there. But I don't. I don't. Don't think it's the sa- exact same thing, Eddie. I, I, but I get your point. Yeah, I'm just saying. I love. Maybe not you specifically, but you know, there's a lot of people like, oh, that's it. They go sixty thousand. It's gonna be this the the, the thing that's gonna you know make America crumble. And well, like, who who I'm the, pretty who, sure they can handle it. They're professionals. Who are these people? Because I haven't seen. I think I think. Twitter, man. <laughs> well, Twitter has a wide range of opinions. Eddie. It's the beauty of Twitter. I follow a lot of wide range of opinions, and a lot of them piss me off. To I, be like, talk to me about Tito. Uh Okay, so this is another thing that really bothered me yesterday. Like. I get it. Everybody was emotional. Um, it was a great goal. I want to. I'm very thankful to Chicharito for it. Me being a Madridista, but the way people were reacting afterwards, it was this big like, "See, I told you so. I told you we should have been playing." Like all of a sudden, he should be starting over Karim Benzema. And I want like all. And it's mainly Mexican soccer fans. And I get it. You're really emotional. I would probably do the same thing if it was Joel Campbell. But now that it's a day, we're a day removed, and we can stop being emotional about it. Yeah. The guy still isn't good enough to play for Real Madrid. And I don't expect him to be there next year. Okay, so I think I think that that's probably the, the the general consensus. But as you said, there's there's emotion involved, certainly for the Mexican fans. And don't take away, you know, don't don't try to steal their their joy, Eddie. Well, no, I mean, here's the thing: when when he scored and Cristiano Ronaldo was was celebrating the way he was celebrating, they were getting all mad at him. Like, look at him; he's trying to make it about him. Like, <laughs> the goal was ninety percent Cristiano it was, Ronaldo. It was. It was him exploding the space with the ball. It was his triangulation with James. It was him drawing the two center backs and all back off his line over to the right side of the box. Yeah. All Chicharito had to do was not Chris Wondolowski. That's all <laughs> he had to do. Yeah, but see, that's that's a, an underrated skill. Eddie. You know this. That there are plenty of no, there, I get it. Yeah, there are plenty of players in the world who maybe don't miss that chance, but uh, you know, th- there's been opportunity, better opportunities that have been missed, and. You, the one thing I, I have, I have trouble with Chitarito because of his specific skill set. He's, he's a busy player, which I like, but I don't, I know it doesn't necessarily translate into a good player. He, he is a poacher. He does find, see, that's the thing. It's a little Chris Wondolowski in that he finds himself in the right places because he puts himself there. His movement is incredible and that's what makes him good. Uh, it's, so it's difficult. It, yeah, he's not a, I don't think he's a Real Madrid player, uh, in, in the long term and he's, he's gonna leave. We all know he's gonna leave. But, uh, you know, just don't, why gotta be a, a spoil sport? We gotta rain on everybody's parade, man. 
Just no, I'm not showing Ray. I'm not showing Ray on the parade. Look, like I, I will give him credit. He was kind of falling back, and I have seen players falling back in that moment. They just skied over the bar. He just wanted to make sure it went in the net, yeah. and that is a skill. Scoring is still a skill. I, I'm not negating that, but the the, re, the the visceral reaction to Cristiano Ronaldo is the part that really bothered me. When it really, Thierry Henry was right. That's ninety percent his goal. And then people on Twitter talking about, oh, look, Cristiano Ronaldo passed the ball. Like, if you people were smart enough, you would know that he leads the club in assists. Oh, like, man. he leads the club in goals and assists. Yeah. Well, but you nobody know, wants to bring that up. You know what I saw? You know what I saw? And I actually missed the goal live because I was looking down at my phone like an idiot. But I, lo- I was at a bar right. and, I, and I looked up and I saw the replay. And the th- first thing I picked, yeah, it was Ronaldo. Of course, Ronaldo was going to create that goal. But I, I, I first noticed Hamas and, and that pass because I, without that pass, it doesn't happen. So, you know, that, I, I see what you're saying, Eddie. It's again, man, you know, it, he just, he's, he's been wallowing on the bench. He hasn't had a chance to play. He gets his opportunity. It's the damn Champions League against the rival Atletico Madrid and he scores a goal. Uh, you know, I'm not going to blame anybody for getting exuberant. No, I don't, I'm not either. Just don't hate on Cristiano Ronaldo either. Right, like, right, yeah, right. he, he tried right. to make it about right. him, but, you know, he kind of earned it. <laughs> he did. He he makes a lot of money, and he he earned it. Thanks a lot for the call, Eddie. Appreciate it, man. All right, man. Hey, congratulations, brother. All right, there you go. I cut off Eddie. He was congratulating me. That's very rude of me. Let's turn to, let's go to Milwaukee. Greg's on the line. What's up, Milwaukee? Uh, what's up, Greg? I'm Ray. Oh, see? Trevor's getting it wrong. I figured Ray. Ray in Milwaukee. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, what I'd like to talk about is uh, Champions League, CONCACAF Champions League, and I was just wondering, uh, I would like to see the uh, final be a one-game final. I think, like, in uh, in regular, like regular Champions League final. Yeah. Um, as far as last night goes, uh, I think Montreal played the game plan, uh, did what they needed to do, and uh, uh, played a game that uh, Jose Mourinho would be proud of. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, but, uh, as we outlined, you put Dom Maduro in that game to give you um, a release valve. Uh, his speed was was clearly a, a problem that that Club America had to deal with. That was smart on Club Boss's uh, part. Uh, you know, a lot of those guys just really worked hard. D- uh, Danny Toya was identified here. I don't think he was perfect. I don't know that I would go Kevin Laramie and say that he was one of the best performances by an MLS player in in Champions League or something like that. He was just a pit bull out there. And again, I give. Montreal full credit for willing for being willing to play Concacaf style soccer when you needed to play Concacaf style soccer on the road in front of eighty thousand people at a cathedral of the sport. But go ahead, Ray. Right. And, um, and but uh, I I I've got to really criticize uh, Matosis because I you know this is a a final and if Ariba Peralta is good enough to play, he should be starting. I I know you have. Uh, I know you have the Super Classico on Sunday, but uh, that's you know I'm not trying to take anything. That's I know that's a big rivalry, but uh, this is a championship final. Uh, it makes me wonder if the SRMF uh, will contemplate switching um, or moving games uh, if there is a final. Because I truly believe the SRMF does not want to lose this as a whole. You know, yeah. just like I think MLS is building this as to unite. Um, MLS fans together. I think the uh, FMF doesn't want to lose this. I'm not. They're not going out here and saying that they want uh, Mexican fans to unite. And I think one of the reasons why that there's a, a big emphasis on uniting uh, MLS fans is because it is a Mexican side club team. I don't necessarily think if this was a Costa Rican club team, 
I don't think you're going to get necessarily that big of a push. That's an interesting. That's an interesting theory. I mean, you know, when it comes to whether or not uh, Mexico is putting a lot of emphasis on this in Club America, I mean, they played a very strong team minus Arriba Peralta to start. And you know, as you said, you know, they, they didn't move any dates here. And, but they got the Super Classico coming up this weekend. They're not moving that. It's too late to do that. I can't postpone that now. I don't. I don't think you can. Um, a ticket sold. It's going to be a full house, I'm sure. So you have that element, and and they played last weekend, as Kevin said, and you know they're going to lead into their to the second leg, and not have the advantage of the rest that Montreal does. I, I don't. It, it's interesting. It, the dynamic of like the all for one thing again. I, as long as it doesn't come from the top down, I get why people want to root for Montreal to win. I also think that the Canadian element is is interesting here too, but. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. As as for the idea of playing a one-off final, Ray, I'm behind that, except I don't know from a marketing standpoint, from a profile standpoint, if that's if that's something that either that any of the um, member federations really want to commit to. Because where are you going to hold it? Are you going to try to pick a, a neutral venue that you identify a year in advance the way that the UEFA Champions League does? Okay, where do you do that? The biggest stadiums are in Mexico and the United States. Are you ever going to play it anywhere else? Are you going to play it down in Honduras or in Costa Rica or or in Canada for that matter? I don't know. Uh, I I would I would uh I think there'd be a rotational scale like the first three years it could be you know Mexico United States Canada uh, and then you could probably work out something from there uh, you know but those three. Being like in every fourth year, maybe uh, our Central American team will be able to host it. Yeah, it, Central American country will be able to host well, it. Well, I mean, it's all, it's all. That's that's, uh, that's a nice idea. Thanks for the call, Ray. I appreciate it. It's a nice idea. I just don't think it's coming anytime soon. Let's go to Pennsylvania. Once the someone wants to talk U twenty threes, what's going on? Hey, Jason. First off, just wanted to say uh, congrats on the uh, new gig with Sirius. Big fan, and I plan on subscribing. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's excellent. Uh, what's on your mind? First of all, who are you? Because I don't have a name for you. Oh, yeah. Sorry. This, uh, this is issue from PA. Now, what's going on? Not much. Uh, just, uh, I was wondering, did you get a chance to watch the uh, U.S. U23 friendly yesterday against Mexico? Uh, no. Nah, you know what? I watched the first half, which was bad. And then I decided that sleep was more important than seeing, uh, seeing what <laughs> happened. And I know they scored three times, and uh, the U.S. looked pretty good in the second half. I, I You know... It's it's one of those things. It's again the issue that the United States consistently has, outplayed for a good portion of the match. Don't look good. Maybe you know something comes together. One move comes off. Mario Rodriguez scores, and then they get two set pieces. And you kind of look at the scoreline and go, "Hey, that's a great result." And it is. But was it the progress that Andy Herzog wants to see? Yeah, for sure. And I thought you know I thought it really mirrored the uh, the U.S. Mexico senior team friendly and. That was a pretty shoddy first-half first half performance. And the second half, they really played to their strengths, you know, got counteract, counterattacked in numbers and used their physicality and, you know, did the set-piece thing. Yeah. But one thing that really stood out to me was I thought it was pretty disappointing the number of U23s, how few U23s we have that are making an impact even at the MLS level. You think by the time, you know, they get to 22, 23 years of age, they should at least be making, you know, regular cameos off the bench. And it really seems like the U-20s are ahead of them in that regard. Well, I, I mean, there, there may be a generational element to that. I think that as we get deeper down the line, you're, you're, I mean, as we go forward, the, the, the United States can do better at getting those players ready to play at the ages of 19 and 20 and 21 and 22. We're still kind of bridging that gap. But remember, that wasn't even, that wasn't really a full U.S. squad last night either. There's, there was a bunch, there were a bunch of guys missing. Now, some of those guys missing aren't aren't part of their senior level team either. 
um, at their club. So your your point still stands. It's something to watch. Absolutely. Thanks for the call, man. Yeah, that's that's pretty much all. Yep. Thanks. All right, there you go. Let's uh let's go to Virginia. Austin wants to talk uh, Copa Lib and CCL. What's uh what's up, Austin? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to. Well, the first thing I wanted to ask is if you got a chance to actually check out the uh, Copa Lib seating because they have the whole bracket set up. No, I I need to do that, and and I've been telling Trevor we need to have some Copa Lib on this show. So that's on that's on my to do list. But I'm uh, I'm ignorant to that right now. Well, I can easily tell you the pick of the tie is definitely River and Boca have oh, already yes. been drawn in the round. Of yeah, and actually, I did see that, and I mentioned that. I think that was before even everything else had been sorted. They had already been drawn together because one of them. Yep. One of them is the top seed, and one of them is the bottom seed. Yep, Boca is top, and River was bottom. Well, there you go. I mean, you can't, how, how can you go wrong with River Boca in the Copa Lib? That's amazing. Oh, yeah, definitely looking forward to it. But I, I guess my uh, main question about the CCL is a simple one that I'm sure everybody is thinking, and it's uh, how is it possible that the Montreal Impact, Dota Azteca, nearly beat Club America and yet they are just so damn bad in the league. How is that possible? <laughs> uh, well, again, I think some of the focus has been on the Champions League during this run. Um, I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. Uh, maybe, their, maybe their stance, maybe their setup, maybe the way that they play is more effective against teams that are going to dominate the ball. And while they, tell, they give some lip service to possession, certainly we, we saw Club America have most of the ball last night. In MLS, it's it's just going to be naturally more even on that level. And if they don't have their opportunities to hit on the break, then perhaps they're just not going to be as effective. I mean, I think defensively they're they're okay. Uh, Samari um, and 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 Simon are, are are pretty good. Simon's very good. Uh, Bakari Samari is a handful for a lot of people and, and a decent defender, certainly above MLS average. Beyond that, I I don't have an answer for you, Austin. I really don't. Yeah, it, I just, it's just so ridiculous. I mean, to put it into perspective, how long it took the United States national team to even take Mexico in the Azteca, and now just look at what Montreal is doing to Club America. It's, it makes literally no sense. Yeah, it's fascinating. Thanks for the call, Austin. Appreciate it. Got to move on. Let's, uh, let's move on and talk some CONCACAF refereeing. Yeah, this is going to be a topic. What's going on? Who's this? I'm Eddie from uh, Maryland. What's up, Eddie? Yeah, what's up? Just want to touch on the uh, refs, and the one thing that uh, really bothered me was the yellow card for time wasting as he was getting off the field, and he was getting pushed by like two guys. Yeah, Dilly, has, Dilly Duca. Yeah, Dilly Duca got a yellow for time wasting. Uh, I thought the referee was just—he was just all over the place. I'm not going to say that he was biased for Club America, although we know that those atmospheres can have an impact on on the referee decisions. I mean, they're human beings. When there's that level of uh, of noise and and the crowd is obviously um, biased, then that's going to push the referee. It's just Im- impossible for them to avoid that as as humans. But I think I think he was just all over the map. I mean, the the again, I'm going to go back to the foul on Oduro and the fact that that wasn't a red card. And I meant to mention this while we talked to Kevin Laramie. The 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 FIFA laws of the game do not provide for last man, as some people like to talk about it. But it does provide for denial of a goal scoring opportunity. And that, to me, was denial of a goal scoring, a clear goal goal scoring opportunity, and should have been a red. Go ahead. Yeah, I would have liked him to stay on his feet, but uh, he went down a little easily. And the other thing I want to touch on is uh, I watched the game on Unimas, and I don't even like it on Spanish because it was HD, like six seconds ahead, 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just watch it on you. I appreciate the call, Eddie. Thanks a lot, man. No problem. Bye. There goes uh, Eddie in Maryland. Let's uh, let's talk to Guillermo. He wants to talk Montreal as well. What's up, Guillermo? Hey, good morning. How are you guys doing? There? We're doing good, uh, man. What a game, huh? Uh, it, I was uh, watching it here with the kids, and uh, when Montreal took that first goal, <clears throat> I knew it was on, right? Uh, uh, um, America, like most uh, teams killed in that league, just have no composure, and they see themselves behind. Uh, they, they, they just go forward. There was plenty of space. Um, I think, um, Piazzi could have killed them. Yeah. He tried to do that, that cabriolet and, you know, yeah. clicking it, clicking it over the head. But, uh, they have everything to win. Uh, the, their preparation has been amazing. I read this piece where, uh, they're, they're budgeting at $200,000 to be down there with a personal chef and making sure that, like, they're well taken care of. And that showed in the field, right? Yeah. Uh, they played hard. I personally think there's a Peralta foul uh, leaning over with the header. But, you know, refereeing is going to be what it's going to be. Uh, and they have uh, an absolute chance at, at making history. They've already won, right? They just need to get the, the, the championship. Yeah, you're right. You know, this, whereas maybe RSL back in 2011, you, you sort of thought, okay, this is one of the best teams in the league. Them getting to this point, while it's, well, it's, it's great for MLS, clearly, at the time it was MLS for RSL. And, and, and a lot of people were rooting for them and it was still the flag waving thing and, and everything else. They were still RSL. They were, they were sort of already assumed to be at a certain level and good competition and had a real shot at this. Everything about Montreal going this far is Hoosiers. Everything about Montreal going this far is bad news bears. Everything about Montreal going this far is a surprise and a, and a shock. And one of maybe, you know, look, this tournament doesn't get the love of other sporting events that we have that have legacies. But if they actually won this thing, I mean, I'm putting it up there, some of the biggest upsets. I mean, Villanova winning the, the uh, NCAAs in 84, whatever that was. I mean, that's how big, that's seriously, that's how big this is. Uh, George Mason going to the Final Four in 2007 or 8 or whatever that was. That's this. That's where they are right now. It's that surprising. Now, they are a top division team. They do have some resources, but they finished last. They finished last last year. They haven't won a game in MLS. It's, 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 but it's look, this crazy. is a different team. They added a bunch of pieces that are clearly working. I think Piazzi loves the spotlight. He's the kind of guy who would be auditioning for Club America, right, in any other circumstance before his injury. He was at San uh, Lorenzo um, del Magro, and he, he performed beautifully. And they brought him in, and he's playing at his level. Yeah. So uh, unless the uh, America folks are bringing home the smog, uh, into Montreal, uh, they have a clear advantage. They yeah. should win this, and they're, they're going to go on and play against uh, an African side, I suppose, and then Real Madrid. Yeah, but uh, anyway, hey, is the number one called? Is the shirt number one called? What kind of work rate do I need to put in here? Man, I'm. So, I mean, we're talking like cons- like serious, consistent quality. Now, this is a good start. Have you? Are you well, you called in. I mean, we've had you before, Guillermo. You've called in how many times do you think now? I don't know, five, six. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, we're pushing, we might be pushing 10, 15, 20 calls. Again, consistent. It's all about that consistent quality, Guillermo. And again, you're, you're doing fine. Fair enough. Patience, Fair, my friend. Well, and my showing up on the social media accounts, me? What, what now? Social media is that is that is that like oh, training? Is that, yeah. Does that count? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I haven't really included the social media element, but maybe I'll consider that as well. You're good though, man. Just have some patience. Okay. Excellent. Right. Cool. Take it easy, man. All right, there goes Guillermo. Uh, thanks for the call, Guillermo. Everybody's going to want a shirt number. 
I told you, I'm only giving out one a show at the very at the very least. Daniel in Atlanta, who's probably in line for one of those as well. What's going on, man? Hey, good morning, Jason. How you doing today? I'm good. Oh, wow. <laughs> I just wanted to talk about CCO uh, for a minute. The, the fact that Montreal played, like, out of their ass last night was just amazing compared to their MLS style of play, you know? You you think that there's significant differences in the way that they play? Yeah, in in my opinion, I, I I believe so. The way that they play, okay. So the first goal, it seemed like they bunkered down a lot after that first goal, but then certain spurts they would try to um, how do you say? They would try to counterattack with Damo Duro, and I forgot how fast Damo Duro was until I saw him, <laughs> you know, just blazing down the right wing. You know, he got into an outside position right before he got got it passed to him. I forgot yeah. what moment in time in the game, but the fact that you know, it's just you know, yeah. The, and, the, the, the uh, knock on the knock on the, the knock on has always been his finishing. The guy is blazing fast. I think he scored nine goals or something for Columbus a couple of years back. That that's been his highest output. He he's a he's a an athletic, an incredibly athletic player who allows his teams to do certain things because of his speed. His question has always been his finishing, and I thought his first touch last night was excellent from the from the beginning. Go ahead. Oh yeah, it, it, it was great, and um, and I was watching the game on Unimas, and one of the commenters was like, "Evan Bush kept getting lasered in the eye, and as soon as Oliver Peralta went for the goal, I don't know if it was because Evan Bush was lasered." Or because uh, he just wasn't marked right, but I think that goal, along with one of the when he must commentators, that goal should not have been allowed. You know, and people should do something about this. Where if a goal is scored like that, it should be nulled. Yeah. And again, this this comes into play with uh, video replays, which you know I'm I'm a big proponent, and hopefully we see that someday soon. You know. You know, it's interesting. Thanks for the call, Daniel. I got to move on, but I, you know, the laser thing, and, and and I think that maybe some people kind of discount the laser thing. Oh, it's just a light. And you just shine a light on. This is focused light. I mean, it's still a laser. It's still if you catch a guy in the eye, you're going to do some some damage to that person's cornea, retina, whatever. I mean, I think there's a possibility of that. At the very least, you're blinding them. So it certainly needs to be addressed. I just don't know how you address it. Let's go to Texas. Final call of the day. What's going on? Hey, Jason, this is Noe. Uh, I wanted to talk about <clears throat> jersey changing. Okay. I like my uh, my national teams to have their traditional kits be the same. I'm not a big fan of the U.S. women's team having the black in it. Mm-hmm. If you're going to stick to blue and white, stick with blue and white. And I, I think this is just a trending thing that the kit makers are doing. I was not happy when in last year's World Cup, they decided to change all the national teams, especially Adidas, all red with Spain, all white with Germany, yeah, all white and sky blue with Argentina. I just feel this this has become more of a money thing where, oh, let's, let's change up the kits and forget about tradition. Well, you know, Don't you agree on that? Or? I think some of that was FIFA actually instituted a rule that said that teams had to have one solid color kit and one white kit or some, or one lighter kit. It was something to do with television and, and I don't know. I mean, you know, you obviously want to be ident- able to identify teams as they're playing, but 
Yeah, they took it to a to a whole That's new level boring. and sucked some of the fun out of it. I absolutely agree with you on that. Appreciate the phone call, man. I got to wrap up this show. Hey, uh, what, what, what? Oh, too late. I already hit the button. I apologize for that. I really there's a slight delay from when I hit the button to when they actually get dropped. Sorry about that. I apologize. Get in tomorrow with whatever else you wanted to say. Let's wrap up this episode of Soccer Morning on a Thursday. Thank you very much to our guest today, Kevin Laramay. Off um, uh, off the Woodwork podcast to Solitude's podcast, the USL podcast. Go follow him on Twitter, Kev Laramie, and our friend David Cartledge in Spain, David J-A-C-A. Follow him. He does good work all over the place on the Internet about Spanish football. All right, go to uh, 3NLFC.com to buy a T-shirt, a Soccer Morning blue, lovely blue T-shirt, and go to uh, backhill.com slash store to get yourself one of these things. They're a mug. They're beautiful. They uh, make the coffee taste better because it's infused with soccer. It's good stuff. All right, that's it. We're going to go. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Friday episode should be fun. See you then. Later.